Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson. I'm here with my co-host Joe Fabrito. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Tom. Good to have you back for another show. And, and, we're, and we're back on campus. And we're back on campus, and it's nice to be here. Yes. And we actually have a nice quiet room, so it's good. So for new listeners, this is the show where we talk about the business of sports, and we do that on a weekly basis. And we try to do it with interesting people, executives, entrepreneurs, athletes, Rappers, investors, rappers, mm. students, mm-hmm. um, and this week we're going to do it with one of the preeminent educators in the world of sports business and sports management in the world, <laughs> somewhere that, in the world, and that is with uh, our friend and uh, colleague Scott Rosner. Some of you may know Scott's name from all the work, he, great work he did at Wharton uh, University of Pennsylvania. And to remind everybody, Scott, um, and this is a, a great get for Columbia and everybody working here. Scott moved over from Wharton to Columbia back in January, beginning of this year in 2018. And he's still here. And he's still here after five months, so that's a good sign, and that's been a pleasure, Joe, working with him. And Tom, with gambling starting in Delaware, there's probably a line on how long Scott will be here, but he's still here right now. That's right, there may may be some better career options now that this uh, this whole thing is actually happening. But Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for the very Mm -hmm. kind... Uh, over-the-top introduction. You can tell, for those of you listening to the podcast, who the academic director is in this room. <laughs> right. uh, uh, that, yeah, that, that would be that our would be... boss, for those of you who don't know the structure of these programs. Pulitzer Prize winning. Right. Man of letters. Award winning, yes. And, and by the way, among his many accomplishments, he, he also has a, qu- a very experienced media personality in the world of sports, having hosted a show on Sirius, or co-hosted on Sirius XM. So we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But Scott, uh, welcome to the show. This is the first time you've been on the podcast that bears the program's name. I dodged you guys for five <laughs> exactly. months. We've been hounding him. We've been hounding him since the winter, and this is actually they happening. Finally, and they finally let us back on campus. That's yes, right. and uh, we're happy to be doing it in Scott's office, uh, spacious office, amazingly beautiful, spacious. Beautiful <laughs> um, but let's start with a um, a little bit of background on you yep. and how you how you worked your way into this world of sports and sports education. Uh, it's an interesting story that Joe and I know a little bit, but uh, it'd be good for you to share that with everybody listening. And you have to start, as is referenced on the serious show, about hawking things at the vet. Okay. So, oh, that's good. Okay. So, thanks guys, and thanks for the opportunity to, to do that. So, it's been a really fun journey for me, I think is the, the best way to start. And I've been like I think most of us who work in the sports industry are so lucky to have been able to turn my passion and my love into my job, right, into my career. So grew up as a kid uh, outside of Philly uh, on the main line, the mean streets of the main line, uh, and, you know, a kid who played every sport every season, uh, loved it, was better at some than others, and in a line of folks who had, you know, a family who had grown up in Philadelphia as well, and a grandfather who was a professional basketball player uh, in the old uh, ABL in the 1930s and 1940s, playing for the, the Philadelphia Spas, the South Philadelphia Hebrew Association yep. team, wow. uh, where they played, played four years for the team. They won three championships. The team's in the Hall of Fame. So always in the blood, I think, is the, the way to think about it and the way that I've come to think about it. And as, you know, as a kid, I really thought my career was going to be in sports. As in playing? No, as in medicine. I was going to be the orthopedic surgeon for the Philadelphia sports teams, which was a great and noble goal that I carried with me until my freshman year of college when I had the stark realization that I wasn't that good at science. (laughs) 
<laughs> and to this day, I still believe I would have been a great doctor, but for the science part, right? right? Bedside manner would have been awesome. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so everything else I've got. Um, but ultimately, uh, that was what led to the pivot side, pivot into the sports business side after a lot of trial and error as an undergrad at the University of Michigan and trying to figure out what I was going to do next, like a lot of young people. Um, as a kid, I did have the, uh, the fortune of being a vendor at Veteran Stadium during uh, Eagles and Phillies games and concerts, and it was fantastic. I walked around in the stands. Think about this. My high school job was walking around in the stands at Veteran Stadium selling soda and ice cream on afternoon games. How great of a job is that? And some of the same folks, amazingly enough, now this is over 30 years ago, some of the same folks who I worked with then are still there. Wow. And they're still working now, obviously, in different venues at Lincoln Financial Field, uh, Citizens Bank Park. But it's, it's really cool. Cheryl the Peanut Girl is still doing her thing. <laughs> how, did you, how did you get the job? We talk a lot about the value of showing up. Yeah. So it truly was just showing up. And to up, be clear, they were hiring teenagers, like under 18. It was, it was a company that no longer is in business. <laughs> okay. It's been acquired by others. Ogden mm-hmm. uh, Allied Service, the, the old vending company that was, that was purchased. Um, and they were hiring. I was a member, I believe, of a union, or at least I paid union dues, as mm-hmm. I recall, because there was a part of my paycheck missing every week. And But it was great. I showed up. I worked as much as I wanted to work or didn't want to work. There were a couple nights where I will admit I just wanted to watch the ball game. Um, there were concerts that I went to that I just got in. So certainly the Rolling Stones, the Who, wow. Pink Floyd, into all of them didn't work any of them. I wanted to be with my buddies, and this was right. a great way to, to get right. in for free. Uh, when I needed money, I would work my keister off. When I just needed some spending money around, uh, I would work five, six innings, watch the rest. I had a strict show respect to Mike Schmidt rule, which was when Schmidt came up to bat, I would not sell. So I'd have people yelling, hey, soda man, hold on, Schmidt's up, show some respect. Uh, and this was in the twilight of his, right. of his career. And were you paid by the hour or the amount of stuff you sold? It was all commission based okay. on how much stuff you sold. So, wow. uh, yeah, no, no, no work, no pay yeah. uh, sort okay. of thing. So that's, I mean, but you really could make a lot of right. money. So you could work days. those six innings and do well if you hustled. Exactly. Right. And there, there were, I mean, I remember there were beer vendors who, and you know, this is 1986, 87 that I'm doing this, um, were making easily $300 per game. This is before tips or right. anything else, just based on volume of beer that they were selling. And they were carrying around three cases of beer at, the t- at a time. Right. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty impressive. I could manage two soda loads, uh, but couldn't really go beyond that. So these, they, were, they were working, and this was a big deal. And where this really came home in my, to roost in my later career, the lesson that I learned, um, we always talk about work stoppages and labor situations in sports, and this is the unintended consequence. Um, and the folks who no one thinks about, but when you're making the amount of money that these folks are making, and for a lot of them it was their primary source of income, and the games just stop, there's mm-hmm. real consequences for those folks. And so I've always kind of um, tried to remember that and discuss that mm-hmm. when when these issues come up. So you're at Michigan, realized you probably couldn't be pre-med. Couldn't be and so pre-med. what was that pivot like? Uh, it was a difficult one. I really didn't know oh. what I was going to do. I had the opportunity to intern for the Philadelphia Flyers uh, in PR when after my junior year of college. 
Um, I interviewed on the day after the Flyers had been eliminated from the playoffs for the first time in uh, over 20 years. It was really one of the first times in their history that they hadn't made a very long streak. So they talk about the worst possible right. moment to interview. Um, nonetheless, they, they decided to hire me anyway. Um, I certainly didn't distinguish myself as an intern uh, in any way, shape, or form. I, I, I didn't love what I was doing, and quite frankly, I wasn't very good at it. Um, it was working in PR uh, for the Flyers. Roger Gottlieb was the mm-hmm. PR director of the team at the time, accomplished guy, was around forever. Um, and the only, I guess, the, the best thing to come out of that were some of the relationships that I formed. Uh, the other intern uh, is now an SVP at the NFL. Um, and so someone I stayed in touch with over time as Who well. Who's that? Ani Bose. Great guy. Laura Murray in high school. We went to rival high schools and has done a great job. Went on to Yale. Uh, mm. Very bright guy and has had a great career uh, at the NFL. All right. So, so from there, uh, I decided as a senior in college, what am I going to do next? And all mm-hmm. the pressure that's out there uh, to make that decision. Uh, that I just found out about these programs that had, that existed, and there weren't that many of them at the time, to get a master's degree in sports management. So I applied. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be accepted to University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Um, had a, a good year there. Uh, it was a good transition year. It kind of felt like it was, in, in many ways, it was a, a growing up year for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, was able to land an internship with the World Cup. Uh, when I was here in 1994 working at Giants Stadium. Uh, my boss uh, was Charlie Stilitano, who's wow. been very involved in the okay. International Champions yeah. Cup and owns that and very much a soccer impresario in the United States, right. among many other things that Charlie does. Uh, his boss was Sunil Galati, uh, mm. who is a professor so here. what was the entity? Uh, it was for. World Cup USA 1994. Oh, a, a, uh, special, a special entity just for the World Cup it was, in the U.S. It was the host okay. committee for the World the Cup in the United States, yeah. Okay. Um, and Alan Rothenberg uh, wow. ran that. And, uh, he was the head Before the, the ma- Major League Soccer existed. Exactly. Yeah. That's, well, yeah. That was the segue. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a good experience from there. I went to, and by the way, the other intern uh, that I started with at the time uh, was John Shea. Wow. Uh, who is now you know an EVP and you know really high level guy at Octagon mm-hmm. uh, in sports marketing and a, a terrific guy in his own right. right and very bright and we started he was a year behind me in school so right. he was he was still at St John's um, and uh, yeah so it's funny the kind of the, yeah. the circles that you that you come up in so. Uh, after the World Cup, I went to uh, law school. I decided that I was going to go to law school, even though I didn't necessarily know I was going to be a lawyer uh, or want to be a lawyer, uh, and went to University of Pennsylvania for law school. From there, when I was a second-year uh, law student, I was look, interested in taking a class over at the Wharton School uh, in, in sports, uh, with sports business and law. Called up the professor who was teaching it, explained I really went in, tried to beg my way in. And his response in this deep baritone voice, and he'll know uh, that I'm talking about him when he hears this. As well, many of people who listen to this was, well, I'm kind of looking for a TA. Hmm. And that guy was Ken Tropshire. And so that was uh, a phone call that really changed my life Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I got the opportunity to be a TA for Ken when I was a second year in law school. Uh, That continued for the rest of my time that I was in school. And I did wanted to research for him, um, you know, all the th- grading papers, all the things that, mm-hmm. that TAs do, um, including when I was in my 
final semester of law school, having the opportunity to give a lecture. And that was my aha moment. And I'm in front of the class of Wharton MBAs. I'm the youngest person in the class. There is one other guy who's in the class who was in my bunk at summer camp, at sleepaway camp, <laughs> and I'm giving the lecture. And at the end, the students clap. On what topic, by the way? It was on uh, collective bargaining uh, okay. issues in sports law. Yeah. And I had enough material to last me probably three or four lectures for, okay. the, for, the, one, for the one moment that I had. And the students clapped at the end, and I was kind of like, ah, that, that was kind of fun. I really liked that. I felt like I was coaching. I'd always yeah. coached and mm-hmm. done things like that. And I felt like that was that kind of moment. And from there, um, you know, it was, well, you know, Ken brought me in and said, you know, you really should think about doing this as a career. Um, like, well, what does that mean? Like, uh, what, what, you know, what does a, a law student know about being a college professor other than the fact that, like, it seems like you only work, like, four hours a week, right? <laughs> so that sounded good to me. So he kind of explained everything. A little everything bit different than a law, a, little, a law path. A little bit different, right? So he kind of explained that to me and, and explained everything that entailed. And then I, had to, I wound up writing a law review article uh, on draft eligibility in college sports, um, which was... Before that became, it was it was an issue, but it was before it became like you know had been there, done that issue. Um, so it was fairly early on in that process. Uh, that wound up getting published, and from there it was kind of like okay, look, get into the job market, look for a teaching job. Um, I was uh, ultimately hired by at a, at a small liberal arts college outside of Syracuse, New York, to start and run their sports management program. Uh, if you're listening, Casanova, New York, I've been there, uh, Casanova yeah. College. So, uh, as a right, as an alum of the institution that you went to, that what's Casanova's nickname? Make, make quite a bit. Are of you sense. asking that because you yeah, don't know? Just, or I don't know. That's one I don't know. I have no idea. I believe I'm it, shocked that Joe Fabrio does not know that. I believe it is the Wildcats, <laughs> okay. uh, but we can we can verify that. We didn't go there to watch sports. We were just going there. You, to you were going there for other reasons, yeah, right? Just social, right? Um, and. It is. Uh, it, was a, it was a terrific well, place. Scott, to... I never. I don't think I remember this part of your resume that you worked at Casanova. Yeah, it was. Fine. It was. It was. A and they had, a, they had an undergraduate sports thing going. Yeah, I started it. Yeah, I was the first one. They still have. Wow. So. So that was um, a weird experience. Like you drove upstate and and you're interviewing at the small college in the middle of nowhere in a snowstorm. Okay. Um, and it was, and during, it was July. Well, no, it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was. I actually remember it was during the Nagano Olympics. Yeah. Uh, and and watched the U.S. team play uh, at a at a, an establishment up in right. up in Casanova. So I did that for a year and was planning on being there for a few years. I didn't take a job just to take a job. Because when people go to Casanova, they really, very rarely leave. It's actually so, a beautiful place. I believe yeah, it, sure it, it, is. it really is. It's it's tough in the wintertime, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but what a what a really beautiful place, and especially in the summertime. The lake is gorgeous. I mean, really and good. And people. you you started this from scratch. Started from scratch, wow. right? So uh, I was finishing a prep and walking across the hall to teach it. Uh, I mean, it was truly kind of a trial by fire. Mm-hmm. Worked worked very hard at it. Um, and that was a, I mean, what a great place to cut my teeth. And yeah. I, had, I, I will say to this day, some of the best students I've had, a couple of them were from Casanova College. Um, so all these years later, um, a couple of them just, I still remember their names. I still remember who they are. Uh, and the work that they did uh, was, was, you could, you would put them up against any Columbia student, against any Wharton student, and, and they would fare quite well. Nice. Mm. So... Uh, from there, uh, I got a, the opportunity to uh, uh, to move to Seton Hall University, 
and so a little bit closer to the roots, family in Philadelphia, um, girlfriend at the time uh, making the move from Penn Law School, uh, she was a couple years behind me in law school, up to New York City uh, to work for a, a big law firm there. And uh, so that was a huge draw to end the kind of long distance relationship. Uh, but Seton Hall was a good opportunity for me. I was there for uh, three years. In my second year there, the uh, opportunity was presented to me to become an adjunct at Wharton to teach the class that I was a TA for. Um, and Seton Hall was gracious enough to allow me to do that. I was also teaching over in the law school at Seton Hall. Their sports management program is based in the business school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another one that was a, a kind of a really uh, interesting uh, place to be. And I learned a lot and had great co- a couple of terrific colleagues there um, in, in Ann Mayo. And a shout out to, to my guy, Larry McCarthy, uh, and who, who teaches the sports marketing uh, courses there. And so another terrific experience. And in my, you know, at the same time, now I'm living in New York City. We're living that life. We just got engaged. We married you know to the to the girl who I moved for right um, and uh, and and wound up um, getting an opportunity to move full-time to Wharton um, after you know when I was in my third year there and it was just too good of an opportunity to turn sure. down of course sure. so I did that and was there in my second year that I was at Wharton we launched the myself and, and Ken Shropshire who moved uh, from from mentor uh, which he still is, but to, to colleague. Um, and we were able to, we got funding and we launched uh, the Wharton Sports Business Initiative, uh, which is the research center uh, that is uh, that is there, that is still there. Um, the funding came in, I remember he called me on a Sunday, uh, said, hey, good news, right? Um, and there you go, we, we, we got a sizable gift. So uh, was there and helped grow that and did a lot of really fun things there. And, and quite frankly, thought I was going to be there uh, for the rest of my career. I, I had no intention of thinking about leaving and, or anything like that. Why, why would you, right? Um, and then ultimately, um, uh, last July uh, or so, got a phone call from the dean here, Jason Wingard. Uh, and the dean and I had worked together um, at, at, at Penn. He was a, he was the dean of executive education at Wharton at, 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 a, at a moment, and we knew each other before then. And so when he called, how could I not listen? Of course, yeah. And so it went from there, and you know, yada yada yada. Wow! Right. Uh, next thing you know, after a very long-winded explanation, here we sit. But that would qualify you as having more academic experience in the world of sports business than just about anybody that I know of. Yeah, there's there's a handful of us okay. that uh, that's a small that club world. though with people with let's say twenty plus years. Yeah, you know, there's I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or what <laughs> no, that says good. about me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and have have had some wonderful opportunities to work with different teams and leagues and properties uh, in a consultancy uh, form right. uh, over over time as well, and that's been really good. That that, that informs the conversation in the classroom. Sure. Sure. So you're not just teaching out of a textbook. It's it's kind of real life. Um, you know, we talk about it here being the scholar practitioner model, mm-hmm. and you know that's what I kind of try to live and breathe, and what our faculty, as you all do, um, you know, both uh, both of you guys, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's the best way I think for in this industry for uh, you know for for students to learn to be able to hit the ground running. Um, you know, it is the model that we that we preach and, and that we practice here. So we've reached a really interesting time in the 
long arc of history of higher education, uh, in certain ways under siege, the business model, some of the outcome issues, career issues, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it really is an interesting time for you to be taking this on. It's only been five months, but just give us some of your observations about kind of the, the mega trends around mm -hmm. higher ed and these graduate degrees and also some of the things specifically you have in mind for Columbia. Yeah, so it is a really interesting moment and for, for a lot of different reasons, from, from the political to the financial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we think about it here and so we're, for our listeners who are unaware, so we're placed in the School of Professional Studies at Columbia. So we're not in the business school, we're not in the law school. So it's a little bit of explaining to people why we are that way. And I think it's a place for our program uh, that is the right place for us here. Um, I think it's, it's well suited uh, to the School of Professional Studies to thinking about the scholar practitioner applied learning um, uh, model. And so we see that. I think, you know, certainly we see it from a, a programmatic standpoint. It's a, Columbia is an expensive place to go to school. New York City is an expensive place to live. So in order to, to justify our place in this sports management ecosystem, we need to be over-delivering on what we're providing to the students. And we do that in a lot of different ways. Um, the primary way in which we do it from a big picture standpoint is having great faculty and making sure that they are doing their job in teaching what they teach and going about it the right way. So I'm extremely fortunate here to have inherited uh, a pretty solid program, but one that most importantly from a personnel perspective had a great person in place, and that's LJ Holmgren. Right? Mm -hmm. So LJ is our deputy academic director could not be more committed to this program. She's, you know, you don't know. I mean, we didn't know each other before we started, and uh, the chemistry's been been terrific. Uh, she really is the institutional memory of mm -hmm. the program, which is a relatively new program, as a lot of our listeners know. It's only been around granting degrees for about a decade and really only in full-time form since 2014-15 class. So that's been a really rewarding part of it. Um, you know, she's been my partner in crime, compadre on all of this, and really helpful in allowing me to settle into a position of 15. Now, if anyone is listening to this has worked for 15 years somewhere else and you make, you make the move, it's a, it's a very different experience. Mm -hmm. and, um, it has, and, and Columbia is a different place than, than University of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So... It's been re incredibly helpful. I mean, I, you, I couldn't put a price tag on, uh, on, on how helpful and how wonderful it's been working with her specifically. And then we're able to, we're provided the resources to hire um, and fortify our staff. And so we hired Tom Cerny. Uh, who, among many things, is also the producer for this show. The new producer. The new producer. The new producer. We buried the lead, but that's why yeah. we're doing the show today. On, on that's, his, that's a serious burial job. On, on his maiden voyage uh, <laughs> as the producer. So we were able to hire Tom away from the New York Jets, uh, where he was for a few years. He opened the door so, for Sam Darnold to walk in the he door. Did. He did. He left and Darnold came in. Yeah. So any success uh, that, is, uh, that yeah. is bestowed upon Balance the Jets. Balance salary cap. That way. That's right, so, right, so. exactly right. It all works for it's all yeah. cap. 
uh, and and everything else, and and they were happy about that, mm-hmm. and jettisoned his his big salary. Uh, but it, what a huge ad for us as, as well. Yeah, and and so chemistry is really important. We've got a really good group uh, at work here. So, uh, you know, bigger trends. I mean, certainly we have, uh, from a political perspective, it's a little challenging for us right now, as is any group that brings in international students, right. any, any educational institution. Um, it's becoming, as most of our listeners will know, um, harder to, uh, to bring it for, for international students to get visas. Uh, the political climate is globally what it is, and so we certainly see that being manifested um, in our international applicant pool, which was actually up this year. But in terms of attendees, um, I think our ratio, we, we haven't finished our class, we're just about done. It'll be slightly less international than it usually is mm-hmm. um, as a result of that. Interesting. Yeah. And go ahead. I, I just want talking about the students. What makes a good student for you, mm-hmm. Scott? No matter where you've been, from small school to here, when people say, oh man, that's the guy or that's the woman who is in my class, what makes a good student? Mm-hmm. I want a few things. It's not just one thing. So I want a combination of intellectual curiosity, mm-hmm. not just accepting things for why they are a certain way, but asking why they are a certain way doggedness in their pursuit of greatness. I want work ethic, right? Mm -hmm. Work, work, work. What we're ultimately doing in this industry is not, it's, it's important. It takes a lot of smarts, but we're not splitting atoms either. Mm -hmm. Okay. Once again, that myth is just thrown out the door. Exactly. So we think about it and so much of what leads to career success in this space is that combination of doggedness and pursuit, work ethic, right, and smarts. Mm-hmm. And if you have all three of those things, among many others, but those are kind of the, you know, the big ones, um, I want grit. I want grit. And when we review applications, for students applying to the program, hundreds and hundreds of applications, that we look for grit. And we also look for a lack of grit, right? And if there's students out there, there are certain things that are red flags for us that we look at, they're like, nope, when the going gets tough, that person gets out. Mm-hmm. That person doesn't hunker down. And we know that that's not a good fit for us. Mm-hmm. Right? So how do, you, how do you actually assess Grit, which mm-hmm. is, of course, a, a proverbial soft skill. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what specific kinds of past behavior experiences mm-hmm. are indicators to you? So we actually have essay questions in our application uh, that lead to, if you are doing it right and you've got grit, it'll come out in the essay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So There's a tip a, for future applicants. Right, that's right. <laughs> As will... Uh, the lack of grit will be shown by some by a number of things, but really the transcript is a bit can be a big indicator of a lack of grit, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily about good grades. Um, obviously, you need to have really good grades to get in here, but that's that's not an indicator of grit or lack thereof. It's other things around it, um, things that pop up on a transcript, things that pop up in a resume, th- what is said or unsaid in letters of recommendation that are solicited. So. It's not the easiest thing to find, 
we do our best to find it. Do we miss? I'm sure we do miss on, on some occasions. How, how can we not? But we, we actively look for it. So the other side of uh, that great question Joe just asked, what do you look for in a student? What about faculty? Because um, here's here's the question. Here's the softball question. Yeah, here it is. No, no, I, no, no this, this is more about because you know we all have lots of friends and acquaintances in the business who who I would say there's a majority of friends I have and acquaintances in the sports business in there, particularly let's say 35 plus, who are very intrigued about the teaching mm-hmm. that I do or we do, this world that we've we've found our way into. Uh, in different ways, all of us. Um, and there's a lot of people interested saying, oh, I'd like to do that, or maybe I'd do that, or what's it like? You've mm-hmm. obviously hired lots of people and are actively hiring people, so what do you look for there? Because mm-hmm. I'll just give you my quick point uh, opinion. Success in the business doesn't necessarily translate always to success in the classroom. I, I couldn't agree more. So my phone rings or I get an email almost every day from someone that we someone knows right that either I know first or second degree first or second degree that is interested in teaching and I had one this morning on my way into the office and the fortunate part for right now is that if you're listening for the fall of 2018 and spring of 2019 we're fully committed so but it's I'm always interested in talking to people and figuring it out is could there be a fit or something else uh, we might be able to work them into the program and it's not just success in the career right okay I've, I've had a great career great now I can teach it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. so a lot of it comes out in conversation uh, can they tell a story can they take you from A to B to C have they ever actually taught before have they ever been a guest speaker? Guest speaking, and most have. Most of the people who are interested at this point, who we really entertain, have at least done some guest speaking. But being a guest speaker and being a professor are two very, very different things. You can get in and tell stories for an hour. Right? It's very different to run a course from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, patience, a willingness to pass along everything they know, and then some in an organized fashion. A willingness to do the work. It's a lot of folks who say, I want to do this, and then when you actually explain to them what it is, like, well, I don't want to do that. And how much time it's going to take? Whoa, no thank you. Um, Okay, that's good to know, thanks. For some, it's how much it pays. Um, You know, that's a limiting factor. How much do you get paid for this? Well, you know, adjuncts don't exactly break the bank. So, as opposed to you know, uh, the full time guys, right? Well, that's as opposed, right? As opposed to what they're doing now, right? right? It's 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 yeah. beer money, of right? Yeah. Um, so you're doing it for the love of it. So you really have to to love it and want to give back, and uh, and you learn a lot about yourself too. I, you know, I think that for all of us, uh, anyone who's not learning when they are teaching. There's something wrong, right. you know. And we still, I still stay about it, and I'm pretty sure that you both do as well. Um, you know, I think I've learned more from my students than I've taught them mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but being able to engage with them, um, 
you know, a sense of humor helps. You're not you're not out there, you know, trying to crack jokes. You're not Chris Rock up there uh, or anything. But you know, having a sense of humor helps. The dry piece can be really difficult. You got to be there's an element of creativity um, that goes to it. And, and look, we have brought people in who have been fantastic, right? So we had the opportunity to bring in John Curry, uh, most recently the athletic director uh, at University of Tennessee, and. John had never taught before. He had a master's degree, right? Had amazing work experience, K-State, Tennessee, deputy AD of Tennessee before, one of the most respected leaders in intercollegiate athletics. Hit a bump in the road at Tennessee. We had the opportunity to bring him in uh, and teach a course. He had never taught before. So what do we do? We, we actually, at Columbia, teach you how to teach. So there's a whole instructional design uh, program that new faculty go through. Mm-hmm. Um, LJ has a particular interest and expertise in helping new faculty and teaching and the pedagogy behind it. Stuff that I wish I had when I started teaching. Right. Most of us didn't have that. And no, we just kind of winged it. Yeah. Right. And so it's not winging it just anymore. Show <laughs> just show up and start teaching and see what happens. Throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. But, you know, so we really planned out and it, it really paid off. The students to a person had an amazing experience. On the flip side, we've had classes that just, and faculty that just don't work, mm-hmm. right? It just, for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't happen for them. It could have been the course that they were teaching. It could have been um, something about their teaching itself. And, you know, for whatever reason it was, it just didn't click. Mm-hmm. You know, we also look at, it's really hard to be a great professor the first time you've taught. So prior teaching experience is helpful, but it's not a requirement, as I mentioned with John. Um, so what else, you know, what, what helps? Um, or what do we need to bring you back? So you've got to show something, right? There, there's, there's got to be what we think about, and as Hubie Brown would say, tremendous upside potential, right? Mm-hmm. Is a person coachable? Because we coach our faculty. Mm-hmm. We, we both existing uh, current, if a course isn't working as well, or we think they need um, to work on some things, we actually will coach them. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's, it's good. And I think the, um, the resources that are here, especially you know, LJ, who's a, who's a national treasure uh, for the program, um, who's always been really helpful on this front, has been enhanced by the stepping up, I'd say, of the, the Center for Teaching and Learning. Yeah. Uh, they offer a lot of stuff that, and I, and I took advantage of that um, year and a half ago to do a reflective teaching seminar. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, it was one of the most interesting things I've mm-hmm. done because you actually step back and think about just the act of teaching, yeah, and and how to engage and activities in the classroom and how to assess things and how to build objectives. I mean, honestly, things that frankly most of us amateurs have never really about. were forced to think about. Yeah, yeah, and and what's really cool about where we are located in, in New York City is that we have the opportunity to bring in some really high-level people. That's great, but you still have to be able to teach. Yeah. Um, and so some of the courses that we haven't announced yet um, and won't do it here, but that we'll roll out going forward have some really big-name people attached to it, but they've got to go through the same training as mm-hmm. everybody else. They're right. not just rolling out the ball and say, oh, go, okay, go play. Uh, they've, got to be, they've got to be coached. So, so speaking of courses, um, things that you've seen that you like here, some of the mm-hmm. courses that we offer, some of the differences that you've seen here at Columbia versus other schools, what are some of the things that 
are really important now in the environment that we're in? Sure. I mean, in terms of our program, I think that the breadth and depth of what we are offering is truly unmatched by any sports management program globally. You know, if you look at our roster of courses, um, you know, everything from, you know, the intro class that everybody has in sports marketing and facilities and accounting and finance, everybody has those, right? A lot of programs now have sports sponsorship and sales courses. Um, okay. So how we deliver that is really important. And beyond that, it's thinking about different courses that aren't really being offered at other places. So we do leadership. Not a lot of sports management programs do that. Um, a lot of business schools do, but we're teaching, we're teaching leadership in, in sports. Uh, we have a sports media specific course. Uh, Tom, obviously the course that you've taught uh, and, and continue to, uh, to teach and, and to nail is a course on digital um, media and strategies you know, intercollegiate athletics, entrepreneurship, um, negotiations course, and Olympians, a branding co- course, um, you know, a course on emerging and niche sports leagues that I teach. And then obviously we have sports-specific uh, performance analytics courses. So we offer uh, classes in soccer, basketball, and baseball analytics, um, fundamentals of analytics. We're offering courses next year in off-field uh, business analytics uh, to try to, to really improve our, our students uh, in obviously the analytics space off field is, is so important and uh, we need to do we need to do better at that so we're going to add courses and it will do we'll do better at it and, and two of the biggest topics in the business right now of course are eSports and sports gambling do you, do you see that in the future is there an academic angle there so for both I would put odds on the fact <laughs> okay. that uh, we will be uh, adding, uh, something in, in esports in particular. Okay. So um, my my sense is that would not be a full course mm-hmm. to start, although a lot of programs are starting to dabble in that. Right. You're hearing some splashes here and there. Um, but we're going to be rolling out uh, a more workshop type of event around esports, and we'll bring an uh, expert in the field in. Is this is the plan at least? Bring someone in for a couple of days. We'll certainly add something in esports. We'll, it, it's likely to be a, a workshop. We'll see if the workshop works with a noted expert who we'll bring in to, to teach uh, in the space. My only experience with esports is playing in an RBI baseball league in Nintendo when wow. I was in college. Yeah, it goes way back. That's old school. Old school. <laughs> so, uh, but, but beyond that, we will certainly do, be doing something in that space going forward. Um, from a gambling perspective, you know, it, it's a good question, and I and I don't know specifically if we'll have a sports gambling course. I would I would doubt that, but I think you would you would figure that that would be wound into existing coursework. Mm-hmm. Um, but the esports stuff that we'll do, and any of the workshops that we'll do, the likely model is it will be um, you know a nominal cost at most for our current students and for our alumni uh, to go to and just and the initial plan at least is to limit enrollment just to those two groups to make right. sure that our stakeholders uh, really get the benefit of it as opposed to a kind of a more open you know invite kind of uh, conferency type mm-hmm. of feel. All right before we finish with the, with sure. the standard two questions to uh, cap things off just one more program question so thinking about the future and the extension of the brand into new opportunities, which are quite common in 
sports academia or academia in general. So conferences, executive education, international stuff. What, what can what can you say about that? So the, the broad answer on all those things is yes. Right. So we're thinking about all those things. That's the most fun part of the job for me beyond teaching is thinking about the strategy of the program. So and where we're headed, uh, both in the in the short, medium, and long term. So from a conference perspective, I would expect us to be rolling something out and making some announcements around that uh, for something to be held either on campus or in the New York City metropolitan area uh, in, you know, whether likely later in 2018 uh, or sometime early in 2019. So I think that should be a recurring fixture on our calendar. And I think that it's an opportunity we have to um, engage in some thought leadership on on that Mm -hmm. front. So we're talking about that executive education. We're in constant conversations uh, with properties who are thinking about uh, engaging us in different forms of exec ed. Uh, we're we're kicking the tires on extending uh, our audience pool. So to go beyond, we already teach uh, run a program in high school sports uh, that Joe is the lead on uh, for high school students, I should say uh, that Joe is the lead on. Uh, during the summertime on campus, what can we do there? Can we extend that? Middle can we, school. Can, can we make you know, <laughs> not down in middle school? Okay. Um, but can we can we make it you know a, a broader reach? Can we go beyond uh, the number of students we have now? Can we move? Can we have it done uh, in off campus? Can we do it in different places? Mm-hmm. Certainly something we're looking at. Uh, we're in conversations with uh, a variety of organizations on to become partners of. Uh, the of uh, the program to think about ways that right now we have three great partners in Bayern Munich and CSM uh, and Opta. Can we expand that roster to go beyond uh, those three and and to those who would make sense beyond just teams and leagues? Really thinking about the the, the industry holistically. So we think about that. We think about uh, ways to better engage our alumni. Think about. Uh, ways to better help our students in their in their job pursuit and in their career interests. Um, so everything from soup to nuts is on the table, and some things you know we'll try and they won't work, mm-hmm. right? I mean, not everything is going to be a smashing success. We hope for more successes than failures, um, but we're willing to to take some risks in in low cost ways um, and things that we might be doing now that aren't working. We won't do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so it's it's a fun time. To really be thinking about this and how we want the program to grow and directions we want to go and uh, ways to pivot, um, things are pretty good right now. So it wasn't like you know I, when I, I took over it was a real turnaround uh, situation or a tear down or anything like that. It's really how do you take something really good and make it even better. I'm going to teach the business of cornhole. I didn't want I want everybody to know that from now, but that's emerging. The way, the way some of these new niche sports are going, Joe, there could yep. be a whole. You never know. So cornhole or can jam. No, I'm a cornhole type of guy. You're a cornhole so, kind of guy, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm probably a little better at, at cornhole than, mm-hmm. than Ganjam, I would I would say, for sure. And they're actually doing the World Cornhole Championships on 4th of July at um, in Coney Island. And they've, they've been on the separate. I mean, it's yeah. a separate event from the hot dog eating competition. Yes, right across the street, as a matter of fact. So you can get your job. Who's got the TV rights on for that one? ESPN. Seriously? Yeah, that's why they're doing it. Though. Oh, it's been on. Yeah. Well, I know they're doing the hot dog. They're, they're doing both. We, we actually watched. Cornhole on yeah. ESPN. Collegiate. Oh, that's right. Collegiate Collegiate cornhole. Cornhole. You know what? Yeah. I've seen it on TV. I didn't realize it was ESPN. And so yeah. they're gonna have, they're gonna have a busy day on yeah. July fourth. That's right. And remember, just because it's on ESPN right. doesn't make it a sport. Right. right. <laughs> Although, As I watched the spelling bee last week, I was reminded right. of that. Yeah. Anyway, so we asked two questions to our first time guests, um, and you have obviously been a lot of places. 
how do you stay current with everything that's going on? And then one that you have probably do on an hourly basis is what do you tell people who are looking for either a career change or just getting Some started in the industry? Some advice. Yeah. So from a reading perspective, I read a lot. And in fact, uh, despite the fact that I am still in my 40s and my boyish good looks, um, I now need reading glasses. Because right. Are those um, new? They are relatively yeah. new, yes. They've been, they've been acquired in the, last, in the last month, so thank you. Um, so you can use them with dramatic effect, you know. Oh, I mean, I've, I've, got, just the, now. You know, I've got the I've got the glasses in the, in the George teeth. You look more professorial. Definitely, I just need a smoking jacket with, and uh, some pipe. elbow patches right in the mm. pipe. So, I read a lot. I read everything from Sports Business Daily, cover to cover, every single day. Sports Business Journal, um, on a weekly basis, cover to cover. So it's not just a section thing. I kind of what I do as someone who's not just in a specific area, I kind of need to have a grasp of everything mm -hmm. uh, that is going on and certainly you know need to be able to speak in the lingua franca um, and you know really be up to date on all the current events. But where, where I think you go a little deeper is when you start, how do you connect the theory with that? How do you think about bigger picture where they might go next? And a lot of that then winds up being industry relationships. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to form a lot of really good ones over the years. And um, from a professorial standpoint, I'm not a threat. I'm not taking from this person's not telling right. me something and then I'm going to them telling them something else. Kind of like Switzerland mm -hmm. in all of this. Um, and I'm able to, you know, I'm asked uh, for my thoughts on it. I'll share it. I'll ask, I'll ask people in the industry their thoughts. So it's kind of an ongoing conversation mm -hmm. of what is interesting and what is not interesting and where we think things might be headed um, and everything else. So I, that's a lot of it. But I, I read, I, the short answer is I read a lot. How are you into Twitter? I am, you know, I, I stalk. I tend not That's to okay. post, as, yeah. as, as I think both of you are aware of. I'm not really active uh, on there, but I follow a lot. Um, I, I increasingly... Scott has a lot of burner accounts. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Really? Come on now. Not you know, as a Sixers we fan... Want, we want the back the other accounts. As, as a Sixers fan, Joe, the burner accounts are a particularly sensitive issue yeah. at, this, at this moment. So, uh, no, but it is certainly one of those... Um, uh, things that you just you accumulate knowledge, but you can't be satisfied with what right. you've got. You've got to keep really learning and, and reading. And Absolutely. Else. So, what about some um, fi final thoughts on career advice? Yeah, you know, I, I think that you know, our students in our program are certainly more directed. They've figured out a large part of what they're going to do, uh, which is work in sports. So, th there's a few things. I mean, you know, certainly you can you can talk about it's it's the people are more important than the place. Um, in general, um, if you're thinking about your first job, you know, there's the old truism of, of easier to start big and go small than the other way around. Uh, but there's a lot of bad jobs in the sports industry. There really are. There, it's like many other industries. Not every job is a great job. There's a lot of bad ones. So it's, it's you know, kind of picking your way around, hunting and pecking and, and trying to avoid those, those bad jobs. Um, it's you know so much for for our students when they get here is they are sports focused and then it's narrowing it down to what exactly do I want to do and I had an alum of the program uh, in earlier today who's still trying to figure out just graduated trying to figure out what what exactly it is that she wants to do 
And, you know, I go back to something my father told me on countless occasions, uh, which is a lot of figuring out what you want to do with your life is figuring out what you don't want to do with your life. And that for a, a lot of the time, it's, it's checking off the box saying, you know what, I tried that and that's not for me. Mm-hmm. And I came in and I took that course, but that's not for me. And you do that enough times and you're going you're gonna to stumble mm-hmm. upon something that you really like to do. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. That was very informative as usual. Yeah, that was great, Scott. Thank That's you. It's great being on the campus again. Yes. So. Great having you guys. And great welcoming Tom to, oh. the, to the team. So More importantly, how do people find you, Scott? Yes. So easy, easy to find. Uh, I am certainly, if you Google me, Scott Rosner and Columbia, uh, you'll find it. Uh, you'll find the, the mugshot and, and contact information everything else. Uh, email address is scott.rosner at columbia.edu. It's R-O-S-N-E-R. Uh, at columbia.edu and uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Rosner oh, uh, one word that's, that's a good get for Twitter by the way yeah because it's not an uncommon name that's exactly right so good for you cool. alright well great. everybody you've been listening to Scott Rosner who's the relatively new academic director of the sports management program at Columbia and our friend and colleague uh, it was a pleasure getting to know you better yeah pleasure was so, online thank Thanks, you that was, that was fantastic fun. Uh, looking forward to the great things ahead for the program. Um, it's, it's a really interesting time, as we said, and uh, it was nice of you to elucidate some, some of these things that are coming. coming my, my pleasure coming to do so. No, it was really a lot of fun. All right, thanks, Joe, thank you. Keep fun. up the good work, too. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Tom, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of The Cusp Show. <laughs>